0: It's Jennifer Diane Gostin, and welcome to Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land. After formally connecting with the adoption community over a decade ago, I recognize the added value adoptees bring to a conversation about adoption. Today wraps up season eight of Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land, and this bonus episode consists of eight guests from previous seasons. Some of them will give you the title of their piece and a bit of backstory to their writing. They all said yes to reading at least one of their beautiful essays that express deeply meaningful parts of their journey as an adoptee. I encourage you to listen to their full-length conversations with me on this podcast if you haven't already done so. I hope you enjoy hearing their words in their voice as much, if not more, than I do. Barbara Robertson from Season 1, Episode 9.
1: I'd like to preface what I'm going to read by saying, writing is a process that I did not respect. So with that being said, this is what I wrote. An adoptee writing group? Are there any spots left? Is it too late to sign up? I excitedly asked Jennifer. No, it wasn't she assured me in that soothing voice of hers. I was fortunate to start the second week. I was so excited to start another journey of writing. My first experience in writing my adoption story was when I was asked to be a part of the Black Adoptee, Adult Adoptees Claim Their Space Anthology in 2016. At the time, I was surprised that I had unexpected emotional struggles during the writing process i thought it was because it was the first time i was going to put my adoptee experience in writing out in the open where people can see and read so i was looking forward to the opportunity to have a whole space with other adoptees like myself to use my words to convey my experience it's easier now i reasoned to myself this is going to be great So at the first writing prompt given, I eagerly sat down to start writing. However, it wasn't long before I realized that my pen remained motionless as it hovered over the paper. It's been a long time since I've written something out, I thought, maybe I need to dictate using my computer so it can be easier. Yes, that's the solution. I opened my mouth and started to speak. Nothing came out. Familiar sensations started flooding my consciousness. Why was this happening now? Why was this happening? In the past, there were times when I felt so full of emotion that I was barely able to form words and no sounds would come out of my mouth. In this instance, my whole body joined in, started shaking, and tears began to run down my face. What was happening to me? It's just an essay. I mean, just write the facts down, Barb. What's the big deal? Yeah, Barb, what was the big deal? The big deal was what I now recognize is my body was having a trauma response. So there seems to be truth in the book by Bessel van der Kolk, The Body Keeps the Score, a book highlighting how trauma affects one's body and brain. My body was in freeze mode, going silent, minimizing my emotional response outwardly, which was a way of keeping me safe It worked for a while. I was used to doing that, used to not saying anything about my closed adoption. As a child, I had a difficult upbringing. However, I was told not to reveal what was behind closed doors. So my physical response was like a biological closed door. Closed doors was what I struggled with to break free of closed doors wasn't just about keeping me from accessing my original birth certificate and denying me access to non-identifying information it was also about making sure I didn't feel too much when it came to remembering my adoption so what I experienced upon joining this group is my spirit realization that the act of writing can bring those emotions crashing, dismantling, rushing out of the door. I wasn't ready for it, but I needed it. It was the path for me to start healing the hidden places and give life to the words, the sounds, that I tried so hard to keep behind the door. I thought I could freely just say what was on my mind and what was in my spirit again it wasn't so easy because i was confronted by my vulnerability this time it's different what's different now is that i gain more courage than i had before to keep going i realize in order for me to get to the next level i have to continue to go forward Along the way, I've shown some fear. I've experienced some trauma that kept me locked in my own closed room. And this experience has been proof of that. However, this is the way I heal. So I leave this writing space encouraged to continue to face the truth at the end of my pen. The truth that I now can give voice to And I eagerly embrace the uncomfortable, the uncertainty, the ambiguity of what I call complexication. What's the outcome going to be? I don't know. And I'm okay with that. Thanks for listening.
0: Darren Watson from Season 3, Episode
2: 43. It's a rewrite of a that I wrote back in 1995 Uh, the title is for this one is Thanksgiving Day Reunion Unfogged Edition 25 years later 50 years and three months to the day since I was taken away tonight I will not hear your voice five years ago I walked away by my choice I sacrificed for my heritage you did make be abused by the foster family not loving and fake the chance for a better life started with more trauma by my foster husband and wife seven months i spent helpless tortured and shamed lyle richard campion was no longer my name to peace river alberta i was chosen to go raised by a family i did not know 25 years later I chose to look upon being awakened by Betty Jean Lifton's adoption book. My search and reunion was swift and fast, while I longed, I longed, hope for our connection would last. We met in person a few weeks later. Despite the chaos, I prayed things would get better. I am not the woman you think I am, you wrote, hiding your unresolved issues that you did sugarcoat. Acceptance and rejection over and over and over. This crazy dance we kept up as we grew older. We argued and fought over the phone. Another message arrives saying you want to be alone. 10 years of therapy I invested to remain sane, yet you wouldn't go because it was too much pain. The drama, chaos gaslighting and lies continuing to progress. I couldn't take it anymore, I must confess. On October 9th, 2015, you messaged back to me to say, you should really consider other people's feelings. This is what you wrote. To my stunned amazement, this was your direct quote. I waited to reply with a knee-jerk reaction after thoughtful thinking i chose to take action this emotional circus with you i could no longer stand i chose that contact between us would now be banned you called a couple weeks later leaving a message i decided i've had enough of your unresolved baggage two hours later on my phone i chose delete our paths will no longer cross or meet for 20 years I tried about all I could, trying to integrate Lyle and Darren from where I stood. I know my questions for you were mostly complete. My soul, peace and serenity, you will no longer deplete. A huge burden was lifted from my heart when I chose to give myself a new start. The rest of my life, my wife and I will share, knowing I made the right decision with thought and prayer. My therapist always used to ask me, why? Why do you keep going back to a well that is dry? I then realized why the reason he did say, that's why I
3: chose to walk away.
0: Cynthia from season one, episode seven.
3: As an adoptee, what are my superpowers? My adoptee superpower is my ability to solve mysteries. Throughout my life, I have been drawn to mysteries, movies, TV programs, books. However, as a late discovery adoptee, I didn't know that the biggest mystery that needed to be solved was my own life story. Solving mysteries became quite useful when I searched for my birth mom in the late 1990s. The adoption agency social worker would often unwittingly provide very general clues about my birth family. I would use those clues to continue my own search while the adoption agency was also searching. I was so successful that I had figured out who my birth mother's brother was before that information was shared with me. In 2018, I began searching for my birth father after taking an ancestry DNA test. At first, I was unsuccessful using the name my birth mother had given me for my birth father. I had an ancestry membership, but I was unable to find any clues. So after becoming frustrated, I decided to take a break and stop searching for him for a while. I wondered what had happened to my adopting mystery solving superpowers. In the meantime, I used the Ancestry website to help two friends find the information they sought about their families. I was successful, but I still could not solve my own mystery. However, being able to help my friends gave me the encouragement to start searching for my birth father again. In March 2019, a paternal first cousin appeared on my DNA match list. The surnames on her family tree did not match the name I had been given, but I remembered seeing one of the surnames on trees belonging to some third cousins on my DNA match list. At that point, I was hot on the trail to solve the mystery. After searching census records, military records, etc., I was able to narrow the identity of my birth father down to one of two brothers of the first cousin's mother. Searching death records led me to the name of the son of one of the brothers. Some more investigating and the help of a search angel helped me obtain the son's address and phone number. I connected with him and he willingly agreed to take an ancestry DNA test. The results indicated that we were siblings. My mystery had been solved. In the end, I discovered that my birth mom had given me the correct first name for my birth father, but the wrong last name. The first letter of the last name was the same, but it was a different last name. At first I was upset, but then I realized, having read other adoptee memoirs, that it is not uncommon for traumatized birth moms to mix up a birth father's name. Now I knew that my mystery superpower solving skills were still intact. There were just more twists and turns than I anticipated.
0: Nancy McCaughey is from season two, episode 22.
4: I want you to know, this is written in response to the opening line to a Taylor Swift song, Ball. I want you to know, mom, I could never have imagined I would be telling you today that I know the secret you've been keeping from me for 37 years. The secret of who I am. The fall chill in the house is warming up as this morning sun streams through the den window. It's September 30th, 1991, two days after my 38th birthday. You insisted on coming to visit me in California, even though I was not sure I was ready to face you. I hand you a cup of coffee and sit beside you on the leather couch, both of us still wrapped in our bathrobes. You look at me curiously and then can't help but ask why I've stayed home from work on a Monday morning. I'm tempted to back out of what I promised myself, knowing that what I'm about to do might change our relationship forever, but I can't. I attempt to ease into the conversation with a half-truth. Because I want to have some time with you alone, Mom, before you go home. The tilt of your head and your furrowed brows give it away. You know my answer is only partially true. You've always been able to read me like a book, but maybe not today. You search my face for the real reason. I take a sip of my coffee, trying to avoid your stare for fear it may make me break down before I say what I need you to know. I wonder, can you hear my heart beating out of my chest? I slip my hand into the pocket of my robe that's between us and pull out an envelope. I try to steady myself as I place it into your lap. What's this, Nancy? You ask suspiciously. I draw in a deep breath of courage. Mom, I stayed home because I need to talk to you about something important before you leave. Please read it. I watch you slide your index finger under the flap to unseal the card that's tucked inside. This is a pretty card, Nancy, as though you were trying to distract yourself. I nod my head but don't tell you the real reason for choosing that particular card. It's a brightly colored print of a Margaret Keene painting. The picture is of a young girl with wide innocent eyes, sitting nestled in a tropical garden with peacocks over her shoulder and by her side. She lovingly holds a cat curled up asleep on her lap. Long brunette locks of hair lay perfectly on the front of her high neck dress. She could be me. The look on the girl's face is as if she's saying, Tell me. Tell me what you haven't told me for so long. I can handle it. You begin to read my four-page handwritten letter that is folded inside. But stop when you get to the second sentence where I pronounce mom i know i'm adopted you lay the paper down and squeeze my hand with yours without any attempt to defend or deny you look me straight in the eye and ask what do you want to know as though you would rehearse this moment a thousand times of course i want to know the truth about everything but i start with the most critical question why didn't you tell me you offered the answer without hesitation it was never the right time at first it feels like a well-rehearsed excuse that you've told yourself so often that you believe it but then you explain your dad and i were going to tell you when you were 10 when we thought you were old enough to understand that was the thinking of the time but then he died when you were eight i couldn't give you another blow to your life two years after losing your father then when life was good for you i didn't want to bring you down When you were going through hard times, I couldn't tell you then. Who told you? I hesitate before telling on my childhood friend, but I can't perpetuate any more secrets between us. Liz, I admitted. I've known since the first night of the reunion, when she asked me how I felt when I found out. Don't blame her. She was sure I knew by now. Before I ask you the million questions that have swirled in my mind for months, You tell me something I assumed I would never hear. I know your mother's name. It's Donna Gidley. My throat closes. I stop breathing. Tears flood into my eyes. How do you know that? You reply. I read it upside down in a file that was on the counter when we came to pick you up from the hospital. I believe the nurse left it open on purpose. I wrote it down and kept it in my lockbox to ensure I would never forget her name when the date came to tell you. I want you to know I should have been the one to tell you.
0: Danielle Orr from Season 5, Episode 79
5: They all have titles except for this very first piece which I could title right now. Okay, I just came up with the title. Turquoise Blue listening today to Persian music while I paint. My heart is filled with turquoise blue colored sadness. The memory of what has never been my ghost of a life. My own blood and gore tribe is gone. I am stripped of all connection. What was that was never mine is gone. I can even feel what will never be as I search my soul. Part of the heart gets lost in the learning somewhere along the road. I embrace the longing for something known inside of me that is ancient, an anchor for my soul and heart, an anchor to this life. Those layered sounds of Persia surround me with raw warmth and knowing that I can feel but cannot touch, like the rock and sea of Scotland before my relinquishment. The power of music invites us to feel whatever we are in the mess of this life. Perhaps we all share what is ancient, Being a late discovery adoptee, I no longer truly belong to any one place or people, and it is too late to bond with my birth families. Will I ever be without this longing? Will I ever be able to stop looking? A lighthouse is perched on an outcropping of rock, jutting out from the sea. I can barely see it from my stolen and lost boat of internal despair. The light guides me home, even if I don't know what that means. Open heart, terrified spirit searches aimlessly. Open as a feeling within my soul. Closed was how they wanted me to live. I learned both languages and speak them both badly. I wanted to be free and alive and full of love. They wanted me to be quiet and reserved and damaged. I feel called to the sea, the beaches and cliffs like a bird. I sail on the wind looking down watching for a familiar shore. My wings were broken when I fell into the truth of me. I can no longer fly, only flap, attempting takeoff. Heart said, listen to me, not them. Heart inside me beats fiercely. I put on Scottish music and breathe in my ancestors. They have been calling to me throughout the entire day, responding to my angst and questions. I say their names one by one. I am here, I tell them. I am breathing you in, one by one, and then I send my breath back out to them, one by one. Your lives have given me mine, and I feel you. Hunter Moon, she says, and I laugh, shocked to hear the name of her, my maternal great-grandmother, to the beat of the drums. Terrified that I have lost too much time, and that my thoughts are too wild, too far-fetched. Terrified that I haven't the right to search for my true nature. Terrified that I will not die in Scotland under a full moon overlooking the banks of the River Tweed. I see it now in my mind's eye. Terrified my own country won't want me back and terrified that I must go. Terrified that none of this matters so then what spirit chatters away how do you know my name are you in the candlelight or in the dreams of my soul why do i continue to yell for courage and faith searching for a road which will not end in blinding dust are my visions true and strong enough to feed my spirit so that i can regain my way during the waxing gibbous moon of my birth hand in hand brave and weak searching as a wild and hungry ghost needing to be fed i searched until the soles of my shoes had holes and i could walk no further i searched in the night i searched in the day i searched in phone books and law libraries i searched my face and hands and finally i found you i searched for truth and found some of that too searching is an adagio and g minor haunted strings resonating and moving within me we are the lost children stand your ground drink my water take my hand aimlessly wandering i found and lost me I found them and lost the others. I aim no more. Really, there is no place to find and no place to call home. Despite having left pieces of me all over for someone to find. I can only breathe in my own ancestors. And lately, I scatter my own ashes here and there in places I want to be forever. broken hearts. After several years of estrangement, my adoptive sister who is now but a whisper of her pre self decided to contact me. She's been snooping around my social media posts without me knowing and she's decided to come out of the weeds after seeing that I have now found my biological father and his two daughters. After texting back and forth for over a year, she bravely asked if she could visit me for a few days. She, my beloved baby sister, had not been in contact despite my attempts, and she had not been to visit me in over 25 years. I remember her being attached to my hip until I found out that I had been adopted. I am the one who tore our family apart. I am the one who just can't let it go. I am the one who can't stay the same as before when I didn't know. My sisters would have benefited from me keeping our lives intact, me doing laundry and cooking and answering late-night calls. As it turned out, my adoptive family felt that my grief for people who, quote, gave me away was an indulgence on my part. No one understood my confusion at finding out. That the parents who said they were your parents, and why would we lie, are not your parents. And that they have lied to you all your life, despite feeble attempts at finding the truth. After figuring out that I'd been adopted, my quest for answers and truth was poison to them. They were angry at my collapse and betrayed by our ensuing estrangement. They said nothing had changed, and my sulking, their turn, not mine, was unacceptable to them. When I got yanked screaming like a lost newborn baby into my newfound reality and worldview, I became lost to them. I had been drowning in their secret, and my newfound truth had freed me. They were the last people that I wanted to throw me a line. I was grieving deeply and I needed to adjust and integrate my late discovery. Everything had changed. As I wailed and flailed the days and nights away, working through my newfound secret treasure chest of discovery and loss, they hung onto each other, hating me for abandoning them. I was uncaring, selfish, disturbed, you name it. I was the family secret. I was the one who brought this disaster onto our family, their family. I was the one responsible. Searching for and finding my birth mother was a betrayal to the family. How could I do this to them? This time all these years later, she is now trying to resolve her own childhood trauma so she can keep her cancer at bay or at least try. Sitting in my house during her visit, Her huge brown eyes searched for answers, and I could see the betrayal that she felt. She was looking for something that could wipe away her tremendous hurt. As I cried once again this time, my sister looking on, I said that I was so very sorry that I had caused her any pain. She did not cry. She rallied with a stiff upper lip. She was angry, no furious at me, and not at our mother who had lied to all of us. She was furious at the time it took me to finally rebound and find my way after learning at 29 years old that I had been adopted. She wanted to know why it mattered so much to me that I find my biological father and sisters. They aren't really your sisters. They weren't there when we were growing up and they don't even know you. She was betrayed and angry that I had biological sisters and worse that I had found them. We had lost so much time, she and I, and now she herself was clinging to her own life. I understood her pain and suffering. I understood her confusion and fear. I was again, brokenhearted for all of it. As we sat together, I told her she was the brave one. I also told her the sad truth is that finding my biological people did not replace the years we had lost. And it did not replace the years we, as an adoptive family, had spent together. And it also did not replace our time as sisters, our jokes, our walks, our connection. But it did break our family apart. The shock, betrayal and lies broke something in me that I alone could only work through and heal. And that left me alone, responsible for the fallout and the damage to that family, her family. Last piece. Weather Report. Dense fog has returned to the vacuous South Coast region, making navigation once again a dangerous proposition. High and holy winds are expected to carry in sheets of freezing rain, which will turn into snow by the light of day. Evidence of wet tears over the mountains, now white and Tibetan-like, high in the sky. Ocean winds, while crying out for Mary, will sail between the trees like ghosts, testing their backbends and down dogs, and howling severe warnings for all creatures, big and small, to take cover. Stay at home if possible, or hide in a bed. Light candles, drink madly while making hors d'oeuvres for no one. Fog is dense. Density contains complexity. And false hopes or water from too many tears. No expected relief or warmer weather anytime soon. They will bury my sister tomorrow. She left during this storm. Participating in the Adoptee Voices, we had prompts, and so a lot of those uh, words came from those prompts and our time together, Jennifer, yes. of which you you were a part of. As I say, I, I was a late Discovery adoptee, so I went through so much processing, you know, to come to being whole again and finding my way. These are some of the words that helped me get there.
0: Carmen Hinckley is from Season 1, Episode 15.
6: I think I would just call it the photograph. This is about a picture that was taken during my reunion with my birth mother in Brazil. And it was most people at that time during that moment were taking pictures on my behalf and I happened to take this one picture and it is part of a kind of a collage of pictures from that day that I have in my home you know that I can access whenever I want to whenever I need to so this is this piece is about a particular photo that I took from that day. The photograph holds its own special place in the large picture frame I picked out specifically for the memories of that day, the moment I thought may never happen, the exact second in time when two lives, previously separated and unknown to each other, finally came together and hugged for the very first time. The embrace, the love, the gratitude, the heartache, The wonderment, not knowing what to say, and yet saying everything. The photograph of my mother and birth mother hugging during our trip to Brazil when we finally met her. At the time, I remember watching them hugging and looking around my environment. No one else held a camera. Each of them remained invested in their own moment, checking their phones, talking in Portuguese, crying at the beauty of the moment they witnessed. It was up to me, after 23 years of waiting to see this, to lift the camera and take the photo. I hardly ever saw my mom cry when I was a kid. In fact, if she ever did cry, it then made me cry because I always saw her as the strongest person in the world. She'd been through it all. A childhood which led to a complicated relationship with her father, the death of her husband five years before I was born, and any number of other trials and triumphs that life invites. So to see her become emotional and hug my birth mother felt like I was watching every moment of hardship result in something she'd worked tremendously to see, hugging the person who gave birth to her daughter. My birth mother hugged her back just as strongly as a thank you for receiving me on the other end, stepping forth to become the mother I deserved and not holding back in the odyssey of finding my birth family in the first place. My story isn't perfect, although I often feel like I've written about it that way. Yes, I was raised by a mother who poured her entire heart and soul into making me feel like the center of her universe yes my life turned out better because i was adopted and i wouldn't change that but i have suffered trauma as have many other adoptees from losing my birth mother once at relinquishment to losing her again when she died a few years ago a language barrier prevents me from having a closer bond with birth family members there are difficult times being an adoptee and there are even darker times, some that last only a moment and others that last a lifetime. I look at this photo as one of the reasons to tell my story, be proud of the person I'm becoming despite a strange and difficult beginning to life and that life hands us beautiful miracles in the midst of the heartache we experience. Sometimes it's very hard to even look at the photo as it can be to look at a situation that no longer exists I would give anything to have it back but it's the emotion on both sides of it the love and caring and kindness that carries me through
0: Lorraine gerald from season two episode 29
7: i'm Lorraine gerald the adopted chameleon and jennifer was so kind to ask me to read something that i had written for the adoptee voices writing group Uh, This is something that I haven't posted anywhere, or uh, it's not been in an article or anything. So this is the first time, besides in the group, that anyone will hear this. And I've rewritten it, so it's actually really, really the first time anyone's heard it. I've titled it Chameleon to Butterfly. Who am I? I'm not sure. It's dark, and it feels like something is going wrong. I was protected, what is happening now? There are strange arms around me. I hear unfamiliar voices talking. This doesn't feel right. Where did my mother go? I am told my mother loved me so much that she gave me away as a gift to these people. This is confusing. Why did my adoptive family say it was God's will? This causes me great concern. Wouldn't a loving God want me to be with my mother? I waited almost nine months to see her. I arrived early to be with her. Upon my arrival, she wasn't there for me. The darkness envelops me. I feel like I won't survive. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray, my Lord, my soul to keep. If I die before I wake, I pray, my Lord, my soul to take. I am praying to the person that separated me from my mother. Will my prayer get answered? My adopted mother said she prayed for me. Her prayers were answered. If I pray hard enough and I am really good, maybe my prayers will be answered. I am young and feel confused about why I can't see my other family. Why would God not allow me to see my mother? I can't tell anyone how I feel or I can be relinquished again. If I hide, maybe I will be safe. When I was separated from my mother, I became more than one person. I became an orphan and I became the legal daughter of strangers. The paper was still drying on the document as my soul felt the divide. I was still looking for the mother I knew while my life had changed permanently and legally. All it took was a lawyer and an adoption agency and I went from disposable to respectable. The legal document made me a new person. That was what it said. Although my soul didn't get the memo. I only knew the woman that gave birth to me, my mother. My tiny body did what it was supposed to do and survived. I had overcome the worst thing that could happen to a baby. I lost my mother when I was born, but I grew and adapted to the life chosen for me. I became a chameleon. I blended in and took on what qualities I could from my adoptive family. The adaptation was my new reality. Blending in is what I did. The emotions of the separation still continue. Being young, I don't have the right words to express my feelings about not being with my first family. My friends look like their families and act alike. It's not like that in my family. I don't act like my adopted parents or look like them. I know inside I feel screaming. I need to tuck it away for now. Who could I tell anyway? I'll be quiet and maybe no one will see me. I can slip away and climb a tree or play in the creek. I need to find my safe place. If I can slowly disappear into the background, I may feel safe. Just disappear, Lori. Stay hidden until it is safe to come out. The darkness offers comfort. Hide away here. Don't ever let them know how you feel. Hiding served its purpose. Now I need to shine or everyone will walk all over me. Be smarter, work harder, numb out, repeat. Use the coping mechanisms you know. This is the life I choose. How long can I keep this up? It doesn't seem sustainable. I was told all of my life this was the dream. Work hard, get a nice house, meet someone to marry and buy all the stuff. This would make me feel whole and complete but why don't i i look like i'm fine from the outside i think i'm fine people tell me i'm fine why wouldn't i be i have all the things i was supposed to have what is missing i'm missing who am i my adopted parents are gone i don't have to hide anymore i can tell my truth so why don't i hiding in the darkness where i can see is the child i need She needs to take her power back. She needs to know she isn't alone. Many feel just like her. They, too, were hidden and unable to find their voice. But voices become many and louder. The hidden voice starts to awaken from its self-built prison. As the walls fall and the fog slowly fades, a new person is born. Is this me? I feel different. I feel so much pain. Is this why I hit? The rage inside of me overflowed in an eruption. I thought it was me. The fire burned like a million candles, whipping back and forth as the flames grew higher. How will I survive in this new form? I have to let it out before I burn. The rage was overpowering. Only when I accepted it as part of me did the flame dim. Inside of me was something else. I also felt lighter and could see things clearer. I had so many questions growing up. I have many answers, but not all. The answers I searched for were life-altering and only some of what I wanted. As the saying goes, the truth shall set you free, but first it will piss you off. (laughs) The anger is part of me, just like love. I carry both. The balance of what was and what can never be will linger in my cells forever i don't ignore it i coalesce with it the nature of my being was with another but she didn't want me she believed i was a gift to others i was seen as a blank slate a canvas that could be written over the past was erased as if it had never happened the truth is hard but ignoring it won't help we can only be whole when the lies are exposed If truth destroys a lie, it should. The freedom of truth releases the bonds. My hidden child was a chameleon. I have become a butterfly. My transformation for now is complete. What form do I take from here? Who knows? Allowing all of my feelings to integrate has made me a whole human. I can feel the spectrum of emotions and know I can do hard things nothing is more complex than having the person that gave you life never acknowledge you this part of my evolution will come and go i have made an extensive toolbox for the times i need my healthy coping mechanisms i created a safe space within me when i was an infant and my voice wasn't heard i hid now i shine my voice is valid and worthy of being heard the safety of being able to be seen and heard within the community is how we heal. Our social engagement system kicks in and we become stronger together. I still identify as a chameleon, but I am also a butterfly. The adaptability of the chameleon helped me when I needed it. Now the butterfly has uncocooned to support herself and others. Thank you.
0: And Nomi K., okay from season two, episode 31.
8: The Courses of Adoption. Hello, dear one. It may not seem this way now, but you will learn to appreciate your life's journey as you do an expansive, many-course meal. Each course will provide you with lessons, although some will be more pleasing to your palate than others. The first course is naturally where you begin, You are taking things in and getting to know yourself. Here you might learn that politeness, deference and gratitude are agreeable flavors that adults seem to enjoy. You learn to appreciate these flavors too, because the sweetness of your compliance begets lollipops of approval. You might initially enjoy yourself, but here you will not broaden your taste. It won't be until you nearly clear your plate that you become aware that things are missing. The absent flavors will add to the richness and depth of your experiences, but you haven't yet met them. At this point, you're just devouring the syrup, but after a while, you'll become aware that this much sugar can't be good for you. Your next course has heat. You will begin to experience the bite of life and its pain that lingers almost unbearably at times. You will try to extinguish the fire of rejection and disappointment with people-pleasing and caretaking. You might even get burned by the intensity of your own nervous system. However, you will also learn that when tempered, heat provides warmth and can complement your sweetness. Other times it will be so sweltering that you shed your layers fast and haphazardly, such that the mess you've created might obstruct and hurt others. You have to be careful with this heat, dear one. Your third course is layered. Here, you'll learn how the flavors of your life need to meld. At times, this will command you to sit still as your uncertainty marinates without trying to smother the heat of your nervous system into a bland numbness. You will also appreciate sweetness most when it accompanies the saltiness of your tears, balancing the honey and brine of your emotions and your life. You'll notice the umami of community and how it wraps its arms around you with its depth, comfort, and fullness and see that the measured, deliberate addition of heat only further enhances each note. There will be more courses to come, but for now, allow this meal to settle. After all, you need time to digest your life thus far and to incorporate what you have learned from each flavor. It takes time to develop recipes to your palate and to your health. Occasionally, you'll still add too much salt, sugar, or heat, but that's okay, because soon enough you'll be creating your own meal and sharing your table with others.
0: I appreciate hearing a writer read their words. I hear the powerful inflections, the tone, and strength of their voice. Thank you, Barbara, Darren, Cynthia, Nancy, Danielle, Carmen, Lorraine and Nomi Kay for accepting my invitation to be a part of this bonus episode to honor all of us in the close of this season. Your talent as a writer is truly a precious gift. I trust you will continue to write, read your words aloud, and make contributions to our community as a valuable resource to the entire Adoption Constellation. If you're an adoptee and would like to share your adoption journey, visit JenniferDianeGhostin.com. If you like Once Upon a Time in Adoptee Land, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Follow and or give, hopefully, a five-star rating so others can find it too. During the course of your day, I trust you will tell at least one friend or someone who you believe might find value in it because word of mouth is still the very best way for the show to grow. If you seek to be an ally of the adoption community, I hope you will consider making a monthly donation of at least $5 or a one time amount that works for you at patreon.com forward slash adoptieland. Thank you for being here.